Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Compliments Podcast with your February host Hayley Pavis. On today's episode I'll be talking to Vicky Whitworth who's been volunteering with the West Country Rivers Trust as a citizen science investigator for almost two years. Now the CSI scheme is a way for the Trust to get people out to their local rivers and gives them an opportunity to be a scientist for the day as they collect that all-important water quality data that we can then use to create a clearer picture of the state of our rivers. But more than just casually collecting those water samples once a month, Vicky has taken a dedication to preserving her local environment to the next level by co-founding the Chardstock Eco Group, and through that becoming a guardian of the Kipbrook, which is a stream joining the River Axe. In this episode, we'll be discussing all of this in more detail, as well as exploring Vicky's love of rivers and how she got started on this restoration journey. Hi, Vicky. Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm good today, thank you. Yeah, great. Good, good. A really warm welcome to the Compliments podcast. Um, I saw you actually hold a talk recently at a conference about a month ago for our trust, and you were just speaking about your experience of establishing your grassroots restoration group that is the Charlesdock Eco Group, and you sounded so passionate about everything you're doing for the environment, and I just really wanted to get you on the show and hear a little bit more about that. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, that's a pleasure. Um, so I'm just going to start with a broad question. So what has sparked your love of rivers and what makes you want to go out and restore them as you do with your group? Oh, that's a really good starting question. Um, I think thinking back now, I think what's what sparked my love of rivers when I was little, um, when I was about six or seven, we used to go down to the River Otter. I lived in Exeter and we went down to the River Otter with my cousin and we would go quite frequently and we would paddle in the water and all I can remember now is the water being teeming with little minnows, tadpoles, little eels, wiggly, all sorts of wiggly things and I guess water maybe got in my blood at that early, early stage and then I've got a lot of memories through I mean, almost through my life of of watery things. So things like going horse riding on Exmoor when I was a teenager and the horse stopping in a river on a beautiful sunny day and pouring the water and the water flying up and being all sparkly with the sunlight and just like like magic. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's what that's what got me started. Um but certainly that yeah I've got I've got water in my blood maybe <laughs> yeah oh that sounds amazing and did you ever see any otters on the river otter by any chance <laughs> no otters on the river otter no, no. I'm, afraid, I'm afraid no we were we were too busy with our jam jars and um, bits of rolled up mother's pride bread trying yeah. to catch uh, <laughs> catch sticklebacks I think Oh, amazing. Yeah, I think it always starts with wildlife because it's so fascinating as a child. And then you start to grow up and realise, well, the habitats are just as important and we can help them through this kind of gateway. So, yeah, amazing to grow up around wildlife. I think building that connection from a young age really kind of sets you off in a certain kind of direction. Like I actually grew up in a suburb and it took me about 23 years or so to kind of find that connection with nature and prioritise it in my life. So really amazing that you had that as a child and um was there also a point as you grew up and started to realize that the state of the environment maybe was degrading or not as good as it should be and, and what made you think right someone needs to do something and maybe I should be that person uh, well <laughs> uh, 
So I think what I think, you know, what happens to people in life is you go to work and I went to work and I worked for 40 years in a job that, to be honest, I didn't like. I often say I hated and maybe that's too strong a word, but I I didn't enjoy my work and I didn't know that there was any way I could do anything different. It never really occurred to me. And then about three years ago, I very unexpectedly had quite a senior role and I very unexpectedly lost my job. And I thought, oh, I'll have three, I'll have three weeks off and then I'll start job hunting. And, and you know, you suddenly realise that three weeks after you've worked for 40 years is no break at all. And one thing led to another and then COVID came along and, you know, it wasn't the right time to be looking for work. So I didn't look for work. And then I've become one of those awful people that the government says have taken early retirement and are refusing to go back to <laughs> go back to paid work. I haven't been back to work since. And somewhere in the midst of all of that came this desire to do something for the planet. And I, I was at an eco fair yesterday talking to someone and, and this guy was saying that he'd had a bit of a similar experience. He'd he'd retired and he decided to devote the rest of his life to trying to make the planet a better place. And I thought I, I never thought of it consciously like that. But I guess that's what's become my priority in life to do what I can do in whatever way that I can do that and give as much time as I possibly can give to it to to make to make things better I suppose I guess that's how I got yeah that's how I got started so I had a long gap when I I didn't really have anything to do I did work for the body shop with Anita Roddick for a while um and that was inspiring and encouraging and I was quite envir environmentally concerned then I was probably in my mid-30s but after that no didn't didn't think about I didn't think about any of it at all, not even recycling. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think sometimes it's just taking the time to stop and be like, oh, like nature is amazing. I just haven't been out in it in so long. And like, yeah, yeah I, I imagine because oh, I've seen that you started volunteering as a CSI volunteer and the Chardstock Eco Group in about 2021. So do you yeah. think it was lockdown as well that kind of got you out a bit more, just like everybody else that? I do. Well, started with this. yeah, I mean, I don't think I mean, I love the outdoors and I love being out in nature and that's never changed all through my life, all through my working life as well. But the the thing that was different was that I had time, I had time on my hands and I had a chance to stop and think about what I wanted to do and what I felt I could mm -hmm. do. And I guess the lockdown it's I don't know whether it's a good time to start a group of any sort or not. Um, <laughs> we certainly early on had some very interesting meetings as we were just coming out of the first lockdown. The first Childstock Eco Group meetings was about four of us. And we met in my greenhouse, which which we regarded as an outdoor space. It was at that time when you only were allowed to meet a few people outdoors. And so, you know, in the in the cold months of the spring of whenever it was, we would we would sit in the greenhouse and try and work out what we were going we were going to do, um, and I, yeah, I, I I think having that time to think about it was a yeah was a was how we got started. As I say, it was quite difficult at times. We we planned events and then there'd be a lockdown and you couldn't you just couldn't do them. So it was tricky, but 
when the group first formed, one of the first things we started doing was litter picking. But you couldn't litter pick as a group at that time because of the lockdowns. So we didn't. We litter picked individually or as couples. And this model of litter picking has worked really well for us because what happens now in child stock is that there's a team of wamblers. They have their allocated stretch of road and they go out once a month whenever they want to do that and they pick the litter on their stretch of road and deal with the litter that they've picked up. So we recycle what we can recycle and dispose of what we can't. And it's it's been a great model because you haven't had to try and coordinate getting a bunch of people together at a set at a set time. People have got the freedom to do it and they just get on and do it. And now we litter pick on every road and every lane across the whole of the parish once a month. And it's been amazing. I mean, it's the, the first time we did it, we got 32 big black sacks of litter Ooh. in a rural, you know, in a very quiet rural parish. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is, yeah, very impressive. It actually sounds like a really similar structure to our Citizen Science Investigation Scheme, just going once a yeah. month, doing your bit, going out on yeah. your own. And I think exactly. that's what, what works for people and around people's schedules, you know, it doesn't take yeah. up too much time. And they also feel like it's their turf, you know, like I did that bit yep. and that's my bit of road, my bit of river <laughs> that I'm helping. And that sense of responsibility, I suppose, keeps you going back month after month. And and once a month isn't too much of a like time commitment, I suppose. So, yeah. Exactly that. And, and maybe we'll pick up some of those things later on because that point about having a connection with your place in you know in in the land and in in your community for me is one of the the keys to how we're going to make really make a difference that sense of ownership and responsibility and love that you develop because you keep going back to that same spot time after time after time you care about it it really yeah. matters and you see the small changes firsthand and you know that you did that and that's a sense of accomplishment that you know everyone kind of enjoys I think yeah. um so yeah amazing and like moving on to the um CSI um scheme stuff so you started that about a couple of years ago what made you sign up to the scheme oh, right okay well that, that that came about because um I went to a zoom um for connecting the calm the connecting the calm project and somebody in passing mentioned that they did CSI. So I thought I'd look it up. So I looked it up, looked on the website, thought, well, this looks good. And you're completely right. It was similar to the litter picking. It meant that people had something to do. They get outdoors. Our volunteers particularly like being out in nature. So they'd be out in nature. Everyone likes to play with a river. It looked like it ticked a lot of boxes. So the, so the driver wasn't that we were concerned about our river. What could we do about it? Our driver was much more, we need to we need to keep the energy going in this eco group. What can we do now we've got a litter picking system up and running? What can we do next? And so we, you know, we, we started in the way that lots of these groups, I guess, do start. We started by asking West Country Rivers Trust to give us um, potential sites um, and I think at the time there were about half a dozen or so sites on the main river identified 
And then we went out, it was about early June 2021, when we went out and did a recce visit. There were about, I don't know, maybe 10 of us. Um, and we walked to each of the sites and had a look at the site and a bit of discussion about whether we thought it was safe and, you know, whether we thought it was a good site. And that's how we that's how we got going. And then we took the same model as the litter picking. People said, I'll deal with that site. I'll take that site. And each person or each couple of people then had their own areas of responsibility. I see. Amazing. Yeah, that's very interesting because you assume people, I don't know, see something wrong with their river and go, oh, I must check the water quality. But I think what's interesting about the scheme as well is it's not, you know, it's got its obvious aims and advantages of collecting data, which can be used and analysed um, to create improvements, but also just getting people out on the water yeah. as well. And that's what you, the opportunity you saw is getting people out in nature, doing something active yeah. and um, really connecting with it. So, yeah, that's really interesting that that was the motivation behind um, you guys starting yes. with the, um, data collection. Um, and well, your dedication to our scheme, I think, is quite evident because you actually were able to qualify for a scorecard in 2021, if I'm right. And you can only qualify for a scorecard, for people that don't know, if you collect your data sample of the water every month throughout the year. So you need to have 12 samples and yeah. then you get a report back from us and it will tell you um, kind of the, a summary of results from what you've collected over the last year. However, you guys have took it a lot further, gone that extra mile, and as I believe, collected about 75 samples, I think, within a year. So yeah. that is really very, very impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, thank you for that. Um, out of interest, what did that scorecard show? What is the state of your local river? Right, well, the scorecard, um, so this was a scorecard done about this time last year, I suppose. Um, and we got a B minus, um, which is a we got 64 percent, which is a B minus. And it's interesting how people respond to that B minus because some people go, well, it's B minus. That's pretty good. What are you worried about? And other people who say what my my 94 year old father would say, B minus. That's a that's a terrible school report. You need to do better than you need to do better than that. So you, you get quite a mixed reaction. It would be entirely what we would expect to be minus. Um, the Kitbrook is a small, it's only six miles long. Um, it mostly flows through the Blackdown Hills. It's a rural river. Um, it's in an agricultural area, but not really that many intensive dairy farms. And we've got one small um, Southwest Water Sewage Treatment Works right up in the headwaters. It's a very tiny uh, plant up up there. So we would we don't expect it to be in terrible condition, um, but obviously it's not our ambition to be B minus. It's our ambition to be A or A plus. So it it's a really useful guide, and for the people who like those sorts of things and numbers and data and so on it ticks all of their boxes so it's great and we're looking forward to seeing what happens this time round i think we're i think we're a bit more experienced in all of this now and we 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 know that you know the the score is, only relates to the data that we've collected. So this is a really little example, but one of the things we, we realised happened that when we go and test the water, often people go in a couple. 
sometimes they go with a friend, they get to their site, they're having a nice chit chat, they start doing their water testing bit, you know, getting their phosphate strips out, and then they stop and say, well, have we seen any nature? Oh, no, we haven't noticed anything. Well, it would be hardly surprising, really, because we've made so much noise clattering around doing stuff and talking that anything that was there probably won't be there. So, you, you know, we, we get fairly low scores for ecology, but some of that could be down to the fact that we're not really attending to that properly. And so we've had to have a we're having a bit of a rethink about how we do our monitoring in ways that will get us maybe better quality information. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe you can look out for the wildlife on a separate occasion when you're not, yeah, taking all this stuff down. But it sounds like you're doing a great job and the B minus sounds quite workable, I reckon. <laughs> and can, we can get up to an A. I'm we, sure. we're, going, we're definitely going for A. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, and why do you think that schemes like this, like the citizen science investigation stuff, are really important for environmental change? What do you think part they play in it? Oh, I, I, I've gone from thinking that it was just something for us to do to completely knowing in my heart that the only way change will happen will be if ordinary folk make that change happen. I'm, I'm sort of fed up with listening to people saying, um, you know, when someone going to do something about it, whether that's they hinting that should be the government or Southwest Water or whoever, when someone else going to do something about it. The people who need to do something about it are the people who live here. And we shouldn't see it as a chore or, you know, some, something where we feel resentful about why we have to do it. We should we should embrace the fact that we are able to do it and you know and, and we can empower ourselves to do these things so the my motivation for you know I, I endlessly recruit people to do citizen science water monitoring <laughs> in fact I'm after I've done this podcast I'm seeing um, somebody in Chard later on who's who's been in touch and wants to something to show them the ropes really which I'll be going out out to do the more people we have involved the more change will happen and and that's my driver really for for doing it i love doing it i love being by the river and you know doing the actual mechanics of the sampling but that's not the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning yeah that's really inspiring i think it's definitely true like you have to start small and not place blame and just mm -hmm. you know try and just amp up kind of interest and actually that moves on nicely to talking about your child stock eco group which yes does all these kind of science related practical things like testing the quality of the water and collecting litter but you also have a lot of community engagement as part of this project which is of yeah. course kind of amping up interest yes we've we i mean there's a bit of a story here but i think it's i think it's a relevant story to tell because it's it relates directly to the river so there's Chanstock eco group and we and we do things that eco groups do like litter picking and organizing talks and walks and you know all those things um, we're a we're a community ally of plastic free axminster for example so we do all of that but the river's focus is probably our main piece of work and we went from just doing our monthly water 
water sampler. We did that for about six months. We got a scorecard. It was all very interesting. But some of us started saying, this is not enough. This is not actually causing any change. So we joined the East Devon Catchment Partnership um, as one of their very few community groups that belong to the partnership. And that gave us um, an opportunity, really, to talk about how we might actually make some change happen, how we might, you know, if you take it on a simple level, how we might move that score from B minus to A plus. And we, we were in those conversations at a time when the East Devon Catchment Partnership were reviewing something that's called the Triple Axe Plan. And the Triple Axe Plan is an, essentially an improvement plan for the River Axe catchment because the River Axe and all her tributaries are in an extremely poor condition. Um, uh, just to give you a small example of that, um, Natural England intervened about a year ago and put a, uh, a moratorium really on all housing developments in the catchment because of the high phosphate levels um, that exist in the rivers. So the river, the river axe is in a very poor state. The triple axe plan is trying to address those issues. And the triple bit, um, the three components are farming, nature and people. And the catchment partnership, I think, had realised that they were putting a lot of focus, quite rightly, and money into improving farming practice. But they were a bit more struggling to know what they could do around people and nature. And then we appeared as a community group with an idea, which was that we would put together a improvement plan for the Kitbrook catchment, but it would be created by the people of the place. In other words, we wouldn't have that situation where the authorities come along, do things to us and then clear off and everyone thinks, oh, what did they do? You know, and you get back into that thing I mentioned earlier on where you're waiting for someone else to make things better for you or you're blaming yeah, someone yeah. else for, for not doing it. So we had we had this idea. Um, the, the catchment partnership seemed to really like it and have hugely supported it. And we have currently funding from the Environment Agency and the Blackdown Hills AOMB for phase one of the work. And the phase one work is to sort of find out what the issues and problems are facing the catchment. And so over the winter months, we have used that funding to fund a farm advisor and a rivers technical expert um, who's Simon Browning, who used to work for West Country Rivers Trust. And mm -hmm. he and our farm advisor have been out in the catchment talking to landowners about the issues and what can be done to improve things. And then they are developing with us a plan around that. And from that, we're then looking at ways to help farmers, landowners access um, funding to make some of these improvements. But part of that project was also to engage with the local community about the river and what people thought, what do they think the issues were, what do they think the problems are, you know, what are their misconceptions, who do they blame? And so we've been working hard trying to, to collect those views. We had a hugely wonderful event a couple of weeks ago, which we called a river cafe. Um, we had a free tree giveaway at the same time and we had stalls all around the hall, which were all on a river 
related theme. Um, and we had people queuing out the door. It was just unbelievable, amazing to see people. It, you know, we, we, we've only got 700 people who live in Childstock. So we're a very small community. And yet a sizable proportion of the population turned out. Now, you might say, well, they came to collect a free tree and have a cup of tea. And some of them probably did. But they were really interested and talked a lot about their experience of the river and what their concerns are. So I think the, the sort of message I guess I'm trying to get through here is that um, you can do your citizen science and you can go out every month and collect the data. And that's lovely and great. But you've got to do something with it. In my view, you've got to do something with it. And if you wait for someone else to do something with your, your data, then you probably wait forever. You have to seize the moment and take action yourself. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it sounds through all of that that you just said that you're really just giving people a voice in the community and letting them make their decisions in a yes. way and all have yeah. a say, which I think just makes people feel a bit more valued as well and willing to do those things if they think that change is going to happen, the kind of change they want to see, I guess. So... <laughs> That all sounds really fun and that event and even if people did come to that event for a free tree it's a great way for people to get people to come and then grab their interest and Absolutely. then they realize they've ended up staying for an entirely different reason so you know yeah. that is definitely worth it as well um so you've mentioned that you run these events and you're getting funding to, to um, farmers and such um what other activities do you run I, I saw you run some kind of like storytelling workshops and walks and such what's been your most yeah. kind of successful community events well yeah we 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 <laughs> somebody the other day um, on a completely different river said to me she said, she said oh it's hard work doing all this environmental stuff she said you feel like you have to keep feeding the beast <laughs> yeah. a slightly unfortunate expression but I know I know what you, she means because you 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 do need to sort of keep putting on the entertainment and keep coming up with you know new ideas and things things you know things to keep people engaged so we're running um, a series of river walks um, we've divided the river into three so we'd, we've done one walk to the headwaters um, to see the sort of source of of the Kitbrook. Um, we did a second uh, walk across the middle section and we're we're planning um, the walk at the moment for the sort of the lower reaches of the river. Um, particularly interested in um, possibilities down there for restoring um, water meadows. There's some historic evidence that there were old water meadows um, quite extensively, actually, along the kit, different types of water meadows. Um, but we've got a local landowner down at the lower end of the, ri the river who might be interested in, in um, you know, having the situation where you allow water on the land in order to bring forward the first flush of uh, grass. So, so yeah, so we've been we've been doing these river walks. Um, we we've got a storytelling workshop running tomorrow um where the idea is the storyteller is going to teach us how to tell the stories of the river so that we are empowered to tell our own stories rather than someone come and tell stories to us and she's going to replicate that workshop which is for adults with the children at Childstock primary school in march who I'm sure are going to be a lot better at it than us 
grown-ups <laughs> and they're going to go for a walk down to the river and then spend some time writing their own stories about the river. We do quite a lot of work with Child Stop Primary School. It's a very environmentally eco-y type school. Um, and one of the projects that they've got going on at the moment, they're working with Axvale Rivers Association, um, who are a marvellous bunch of mostly chaps, I think, who, who are doing work to improve things, particularly on the River Axe. And they have a programme of taking sea trout eggs to, um, I think it's four schools in the area, including our school in Chardstock. And the children look after those eggs, watch the uh, sea trout hatch. And then when those uh, fry are big enough, they release them back into the Kit Brook because um, we're a national spawning ground for, for sea trout. And we still are, although obviously the, the quantity of fish is considerably reduced from what it, what it would have been. So we're helping um, with that programme. Um, and one, one of the things that we do with the school is that we make sure that every child who leaves that school to go to secondary school has had a lesson in rivers on the riverbank. Um, so, they've, so we take the CSI equipment down um, and river fly um, down as well. And they have a go at doing all of that on the riverbank. Um, we think that's a good, a good thing for them to have done before they go up to, up to senior school. Yeah, definitely. I can just ima like imagine how excited they are to have fish eggs in their classroom <laughs> and watch it all, them all hatch. Like I remember uh, bring your own pet to school day and I was like yeah. taking in like the little snails that develop on the edge of your fish tank and thinking <laughs> they were the most exciting thing ever. So, yeah, that's really, uh, really important that they're, they're going to understand what's happening in their river. They've seen the whole process and hopefully that sticks with them and they realise that you know they want to help preserve the habitat so that can keep happening in the wild so yeah. that that's that is really really cool um mm. and yeah I bet anyone listening to this podcast will be getting in touch with your eco group soon if they live nearby because it sounds like a lot of fun everything that you've got <laughs> going on yeah oh. <laughs> um, well people are very welcome to get in touch we we love working with other groups building networks you know sharing experiences so We'd be delighted if people get in touch. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, and has how have you seen these um, events and such that you put on Bring Your Community Together? Have you seen more people getting involved, making new relationships, them um, having a more positive view on the, the yeah. environment? It, well, I mean, a lot of people tell us we're having a big impact. Um, I mean, I always would like more of an impact. <laughs> one of those people who think we could change the world overnight but it chance stock is a um you know it's a rural sleepy community there's a lot of elderly people um and it's quite a um mixed community in that the farming community and the more village center residents the village center residents tend to have moved in from elsewhere um and those connections have not really been made. So people, one of the things that comes across really strongly is people simply do not understand farming and the pressures and the changes that are going on in farming. And they have this sort of almost mistake, well, it's definitely a mistaken view, but they, 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 it's back to the blame thing, you know, it's all the farmer's fault. Um, 
and they don't understand why a farmer might do something and they tend to draw a conclusion that they you know people will go around deliberately harming the environment or polluting the river or whatever so there's a big piece of work uh, i think for us to do to try and bring those different communities um together now it's early days for us but i suppose we have started to put our toe in the water with that um I'm sure other groups would say that trying to get volunteers who who can give up, you know, that people will turn out, out to plant trees or, you know, do something once a month, but groups have to run with people who are prepared to do quite a lot of work, quite a lot of the time. And those people are quite tricky to find, people who, who can give up maybe, you know, a day a week to something are, are hard to find and and if there are any of those people listening to this podcast who'd like to come and join us we'd love to hear we'd love to hear from you amazing well yeah i do hope this podcast does reach as many people as possible and can come and give you a hand with all this amazing work that you're doing um but yeah unless there's any more that you'd like to say about the work you're doing i think we'll bring the podcast to an end because we've covered absolutely everything that I wanted to ask about and you've been very inspiring and just really appreciate all the information that you've given us so is there anything else you wanted to add? Well there is, there is only one one thing which was that one of our volunteers um, who's on who's on the Kipbrook restoration project team um, and he's a, a, an ex-military man and he said the other day, he said, people, people keep saying that, you, you know, the idea is that you fall in love with your river. And he said, I, I've no idea. I used to have no idea what that meant. Fall in love with your river. What on earth does that mean? And then he said, and then one day I fell in love with my river and I completely get it. He said, I can't explain it, but I completely know what it's like to have fallen in love with my river. And I I just it touches my heart even saying it now. I think that's that's what we're trying to achieve. And if everyone could fall in love with their river, then we could make the world a hugely different place. Yeah, that's amazing. That gave me goosebumps as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Hopefully one day everyone will get out there and yeah, see the amazing joys that rivers can bring to our lives. On that note, thank you so much for talking to us, Vicky. And thank you on behalf of the Trust as well for all the amazing work you're doing as part of our citizen science investigation team. Um, we're really excited to follow your journey with the Charles Stock Eco Group. And sounds like you've got some amazing plans coming up. So good luck with the future. And um, yeah, hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 After recording this podcast, Vicky informed me that she was straight off to complete some water monitoring in a new location on the Thornton Brook. Her dedication is amazing and hopefully she's inspired everybody listening to show some love and attention to their local waterways. If you'd like to get stuck in with some local conservation or inventive community engagement activities and live around the Chardstock area, please do contact Vicky via her Facebook group, the Chardstock Eco Group. And if you don't live close by but are still intrigued, the good news is that you can become a CSI volunteer anywhere across the West Country. So visit our website www.wrt.org.uk forward slash West Country CSI for more information. Thank you for listening and tune in next month for more River Stories. <laughs>